But if you have your Bible, which you should, and you turn to Proverbs with me, we are at chapter 30. We finished chapter 29 last week. And so we are getting close, the last two chapters. And I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to take our time. I made it down through verse 9 first service, so that's as far as I'll go this service. I'm looking forward to getting to chapter 31. Uh, I have some stuff to share there, I think. So we'll take the rest of this month and probably most of March in these two chapters. And then we've got a wonderful announcement coming probably the first weekend of March. We'll announce where we as a congregation are going to be going next as far as the word um, as a whole congregation. And some of the, some of the things that we're going to do to enhance um, fellowship and discipleship and all that kind of good stuff. So looking forward to it. Chapter 30. I'll read it, pray, and then we'll dive in. So if you're there, let me hear a hearty amen. amen. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob. His utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, Ithiel to Lachal. Surely I'm more stupid than any man. And do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his word, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Two things I requested of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still, and profane the name of my God. And Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, as we gather before your word, Lord, I pray that you would take our hearts and our minds and, and hold, hold them, Lord God. Let our attention be upon you. And I pray, Lord, that you would remove anything that would hinder um, the things that we're concerned about outside of this room, the things that we have to do tomorrow, uh, Lord God, or whatever happened last week. Lord, take that from us, Lord God, even distractions from the room, that we may have this moment with you to hear how you would speak to us that we would grow and be transformed as, as your disciples, Lord God, made more and more and conform more and more into the image of your son. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we approach this section, verses one through nine, kind of a new section in the book of Proverbs. We see this guy, Augur, we're gonna see his introduction and credentials which is really more of a de declaration of, of humility. And what we're going to find out about this man is that he has knowledge of the Holy One in verse 4. And that he, have, he has reverence for the Word of God in verses 5 through 6. And that he delights himself in the Lord, verses 7 through 9. And he hopefully will become one of the most amazing figures from the Old Testament for you, as we'll see as we go into this. So verse 1, the words of Agur, the son of Jekah, 
his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel and Ithiel to a cow. And so as we begin to look at it, one of the things that I want to point out first, as it says here in the New King James, his utterance. Um, the NIV calls it his inspired utterance. The ESV calls it the oracle. And of course, in the New King James, they translate it um, even the prophecy, which I love the fact that this man has a prophetic word for us here at the end of the book of Proverbs. Because the reality is we don't know who he is. And scholars will play around with it and they'll dig and dive and they'll try to tie him to Solomon somehow as another name for Solomon. But the, the language and the wording doesn't seem to imply that at all. Um, and they'll go back and forth trying to figure out, well, who is he? And the reality is I don't think the Holy Spirit wants us to waste our time trying to figure out who he is as much as, as why he's important here. Because when I look at the fact that this man is coming behind Solomon with this amazing prophecy and we don't even know him, it presents something amazing to me. And it's kind of like what we've been seeing in the Old Testament on Wednesday nights in the book of Kings as we've, we've seen these unnamed prophets show up at times and they speak a word to the king and give the king direction that the king needs whether they listen to it or not. Or, or sometimes how we, we've seen in the midst of the wickedness of Israel, Jezebel's killing the prophets of God when Obadiah is hiding them and feeding them and nurturing them to protect her. And then we see Elijah in the cave. He's all depressed because all the prophets are being killed. And he says, Lord, I'm alone left to serve you. And God said to him, I've got 7,000 that still have not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed Baal. And it speaks of the fact that in all of the, the hustle and the bustle and the back and forth, the reality is, is that God always has someone, some man, some woman that's just simply reverencing him and walking with him and worshiping him and listening to what he has to say which is huge for us to consider as we sit in here today because we love the stories of David. We love the stories of Elijah and Paul and Peter and James and all of them, which is, which is great. It's amazing. But sometimes there's something to be said for what I call, you might call too, the ordinary person, the ordinary man or woman who just loves the Lord. Like we see in Acts chapter 9 when it says, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Ananias, we don't see anything about him before. We don't see anything about him after that one little blurb. And Jesus says, go and lay hands on Saul and tell him all that I've got planned for him. And this disciple, he went and he did that, that one little thing because that's what God had called him to do. I see the individual relationship that each one of us has with the Lord as an opportunity to be used by him in many different ways. And the beautiful thing about that is if you think about like the book of Acts, which is church history, if you think about it, it never actually ends. As I told you, when I taught through the, the book of Acts, it kind of just it kind of just like leaves a lot to be wondered about, because the reality is, is church history is still unfolding and we're part of it now. So your individual story is a part of what's going on with church history. How many of you believe that? That means that you right where you are and what you're doing as a certain disciple is so important to the Lord that it blows my mind. And we can sometimes forget that. And so when we arrive at this guy named Argo, we don't even know anything about him. But what we need to know about him is he loves the Lord as we're going to see. And God is using him because that's the reality of each one of us. We got to get our heads stuck out of these spiritual giants that do amazing things. It seems to me when I go through scripture, God does amazing things with ordinary people. They just become big to people because God is doing something and telling a story about it. 
And this is what we need to understand. And I'll, I'll come back to some of those thoughts here in a minute. So as we, as we, as we, we kind of glance through this introduction and credentials of this guy, Augur, we see that one of his first credentials is that he is, if you will, has a very humble view of himself. Look at it with me in verse 2. It says, surely I am more stupid than any man. Y'all catch that? And do not have the understanding of a man. We're going to find out he's not stupid at all. And the reason he says this, the reason he's this humbled, um, in fact, the King James actually says brutish. It's, uh, this, this word used here in the Hebrew is, is used five times in the Old Testament, four times as brutish, and one time as foolish. But the reason he says this is because he's been spending time in the presence of the Lord, and it gives him a different view of himself. We see this in the Bible. The one example of it is in uh, Psalm chapter 73. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is looking at what's going on in the culture, and he's seeing wicked people, and they seem to be doing well. And he's serving the Lord and seems to be struggling, and so he gets depressed. But you got to go read it. Write it in your notes. Read it in your own time. But then later it says, but when he went into the sanctuary of the Lord, his eyes were open, and he had a fresh perspective of it all, and he could see therein. And he understood his destiny. And so it was after all of that took place that he says in verse 21 of Psalm 73, thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish. There's our word and ignorant. He went into the house of the Lord and got a fresh perspective. He's like, man, I was foolish to even 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 second guess God and his glory. He says, I was I was foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, here's his reality. He understands. I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, what does he say? Receive me to glory. Whoa. He got before the Lord and everything in his mindset changed. And he's like, no, 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 no. You love me. You have me. I will always be with you. And I'm going to get to go and see you face to face when all of this stuff is over with. But he couldn't get that perspective before he got before the Lord. We see this all the way through scripture. It was Isaiah chapter six in the year that King Uzziah died that he saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah said in verse five, he said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips And I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And because he can see the king for who he is and he can get a glimpse of the glory of God, his perspective of himself changes drastically. And that's what we need to kind of get an understanding of as we go through this. You see, when look, when we get before the Lord, one of the immediate fruits of that is an overwhelming sense of real humility, not fake humility, but real humility and love. Just like, you know, it says in Proverbs 6 that God hates a proud look. But when we get before the Lord, that fades away. We get a, a, a huge glimpse of who he is. And then, it, then we understand how little we are. And then we also understand that our place in the midst of the assembly is just being one of the beloved of God. Not trying to lift ourselves up any further than that. And that is a place that we all need to come to. Amen. But you can only get it when you spend time in the glory of the Lord. And I realized, Lord, I just thank you for loving me. Maybe I thought I was something or I thought I knew something, but I don't know nothing. And then when we get to eternity, we're going to still be learning of him for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. He's too vast for us to get a glimpse. We'll never be able to say we fully understand everything about God. Anybody that tells you that, move move a few steps to the right or left. (laughs) 
give them some space to get smoked, you know. <laughs> so this man says, I'm more stupid than any man. But the reality is we're going to find out this man ain't stupid. He just got a glimpse of God, and, he, and, he, and, and before God, he realizes he was nothing. And I, I cherish him for that because I, get, I can learn from that. I get an example from that as I want to get before the Lord myself. But also, not only does he have a, a, a sense of uh, self-humility in a sense, he also has a sense of self-reliance on the Lord. As we go on in verse 3, it says, I neither learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. He's making these statements in his humility because he's seen a glimpse of the Lord. But we're going to see the reality is neither one of these statements are, are actually accurate because this man is wise because he's seen the Lord, because he reverences the Lord, because he spent time with the Lord. And because of that, he does have a knowledge. But this is his perspective. Now, what he means by um, this, I neither have learned nor have knowledge of the Holy One, it means that Argar was not formally trained, as we would say, he didn't go to seminary. And that is a big deal, especially amongst some groups. And I know here, I know people in this room are from all over the place. Here in the South, that's a big deal. You ain't been to seminary. <laughs> Hear me out now, understand me. I don't believe that anyone should ever stand in the pulpit before God's people that has not been trained and prepared properly. Everybody hear that? Every man that stands in the pulpit must be trained and prepared properly. I believe, listen though, I believe this, and I understand the truth is this, that the training that that man must have, he must receive in a particular way. Okay, stay with me for a moment. In other words, the training he needs is not necessarily the training that many think that he should have. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we find Peter, James, and John standing before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, these formally trained men. And the Bible says, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I threw James in there just because he's usually hanging out with them, but it's just Peter and John, and perceived that they were, notice, uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, meaning that they were uneducated and untrained according to the formal process that they had put in place within the nation. But notice what it says. And they realize that they had been with Jesus. And so I believe that any man who goes out to do any ministry must be properly trained. And he finds that proper training at the feet of Jesus himself, Amen. which is what these guys had received as they stood before the body of men who had been formally trained which is amazing. And, and, and it always uh, blows me away that the thing that is necessary is that we always make room for the power of the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit in the, in the life of the individual who trusts in him, which is then not only equipping him, but training him as we go. It was Paul that said to the Corinthians, he said, and y'all know this, every time we do communion on Wednesday nights, we talk about this. He says, for I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And, and it's amazing when you think about this, Paul says, he didn't say, I received from Gamaliel, my rabbi. He didn't say, I received from any rabbi or even from the, the Pharisees and the training that he received there within the Sanhedrin. He said to the Corinthians, I, as I received from the Lord, that I delivered to you. Paul was a Pharisee, very well decorated. 
He got saved and tried to preach and they tried to kill him and he had to go to the desert and spend time with Jesus to come back a humbled man, then equipped and able to serve the Lord in an appropriate way. I love it. In fact, it was in Galatians that, that Paul says, let's turn there. We got time this service. Galatians chapter one, to the right, if you're not familiar, do the Bible shuffle. It's to the right, way over to the right. After the gospels, after Romans, after first and second Corinthians, and you land there. I didn't do this first service, but I can take time. We'll start reading at verse 11. Y'all with me? Y'all there? I'm going to start reading just because we don't have a lot of time. I want to get through some of this. One. And he says in verse 11, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which I preached, which was preached by me, is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my formal conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal, here it is, his son. That's what we need to see. To reveal his son in me, that I might preach among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. And there's been many times when I came to a place in my life where I really needed to get away and hear from the Lord. And he would always remind me of this verse. Don't immediately confer with flesh and blood. Go get alone with me and spend some time first. Then, and then seek counsel amongst men, against godly men. He says, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia. He went to the desert and returned again to Damascus. His training ground was in the desert with Jesus. And, and so we see this as we go through. In fact, as we go back over, you can turn back to Proverbs. It was Paul, even to the Corinthians, who said this. Y'all bear with me, and I'm going to move on in a second. But he said to the Corinthians in chapter 1 on the screen, verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things which are that look at this. No flesh should glory in his presence, but of him to you are in all are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that it that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the Lord I love this not many wise not being my, many mighty in other words God chooses the simple things to confound the wise as he does over and over and over and the wise that he chose which was Paul he had to take him to the desert and have him relearn everything and understand that everything I learned before was pointing to Jesus and I missed him and he came back a humble man he said in his own words, I am the chief of sinners because I persecuted the church. And he said in another place, I am what I am through the grace of our God. 
in his humility. I think it's important for all of us to realize that, wait a minute, as we go through these scriptures, it seems as though the most important thing that any of us can have is to know Christ and to spend time with him, to be built up in him and to watch him make us into the disciple that he desires us to be. Amen? It's amazing. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 98. He says, you through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding, notice he says, than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I'm not trying to say that it's not important to be discipled. It it definitely is because that's the vision God has given me for here at the church. But it's most important that you spend your time with the Lord. I even tell this to people. I mean, if you spend all your time only being taught by man, you're getting regurgitated material all the time. It's better when you get alone and receive stuff from the Lord and then get supplements from the from the teachings of man. Because you need to grow as an individual in your personal walk and relationship with the Lord, knowing him personally for yourself. That's what we all are to receive. And then the assembly is even more blessed. See, what we've got to remember, because those verses in, in Psalm 119, he, he gives the indication that when you're spending time with the Lord, you surpass the things that you even receive from your teachers. And I know that to be true. That happens all the time. So then if you think about it, here's the thing we got to remember, we often forget. Check this out. We've got to remember that Jesus is in the business of making disciples, and he's pretty good at it. Y'all, y'all, y'all are doubting that, huh? He's pretty good at making disciples, and he's been doing it since the very beginning. He's good at it. And when we get before him, men and women, we grow, and, 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 and you'll be amazed at how quickly you can grow if you spend time alone with the Lord. It's amazing to me that how many of the mainstream denominations— um, and, and all of the, 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 they have many spirit-filled, godly people who will never be allowed to teach or preach or do certain levels of ministry with, unless they have a degree from their institutions. But yet it's those same mainstream denominations that are becoming the most liberal part of the church today, completely walking away from the truths of Scripture. So there are essential things to becoming a disciple that has nothing to do with the structure that we sometimes put in place. It's required for the individual Christian to get along with the Lord and spend time there, plus be in fellowship with other believers and be in the assembly of the saints, growing day by day, just being filled with God's truths, not always needing to be taught, but sometimes just need, just because I do think that sometimes the way we make disciples is we make them dependent upon others. Jesus is better at making disciples than we are. And anybody that's making disciples is always pointing them to Jesus as the primary source of everything that they need. I don't want you dependent upon me. That's why I say read the Bible for yourself and have it with you all the time. And get it written in here so when you don't have it, you still got it. You're never without it. And so this is what we need to know and understand. And, 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 and I, I love this about this guy, Augur. He comes in his humility. And he says, man, I, I, I'm stupid and untrained. And in this, I see beauty. But he spent time with the Lord. In fact, we're going to see that he has knowledge of the Holy One. Look at verse 4. He says in verse 4, and you got to catch this. Here's this obscure, unknown Old Testament dude who, who sees himself as, as just lowly. And he says, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist 
who has bound the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name, he says. And then catch this. And what is his son's name, if you know? You see, y'all got to catch this for a second. This dude is coming behind Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived. God gave him all of that wisdom. And, and here's Solomon who, who wrote all of these Proverbs. They even found extra ones he wrote. Remember, chapter 25 through 29 and put that in there. And everybody knows the wisdom of Solomon. And here's this unknown guy who's just been spending time with the Lord. And he comes for, forth with something that, that is almost, you know, like missed throughout the Old Testament. What is his son's name? I mean, the, the point at the end of this is that Jesus is the one who ascended and descended. Jesus is the one who connects heaven and earth. Jesus is the bridge for man to get over to God. And this man is discovering him in the Old Testament. Remember what it says in John chapter 3, verse 13. It says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, the son of man who is in heaven. I always love that language. No one has descend, ascended except the one who first came down, which was Christ, who also is in heaven. Interesting language. Jesus is the one. And this man here in the Old Testament, who, who in his humility claims to know nothing, but in his time meditating on the things of God has come to discover that there's one that we need more than anyone else. What is his name? He's seeking for something. And this is the example for us. We need to be seeking something. We need to be seeking to know him more and more in our lives every day. He says, who has ascended into heaven or descended? We know that's Christ. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who's, more, who's powerful enough to do that? I think about... Um, I think about Jesus when he's trying to get a nap and the disciples think they're going to die and they wake him up out of his nap. Jesus could never get sleep. Um, you know, he was always rough. He's trying to, he would get up early in the morning to go pray to the father. The disciples would come find him and interrupt him. But Jesus, they're coming across the sea. Jesus wakes up and tells them and rebukes the wind and tells it to be still. Y'all remember that? He speaks to the wind. They say, who is this? His name is Jesus. And gather the wind in his fist. We know the Bible tells us, you know, just in case you don't know it, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and John chapter 1 that Jesus is the creator. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that and in Colossians 1 that Jesus created the angels for himself. The angels are his servants. He created them and he created everything. And so this, this Jesus, he's, 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 he's asking, he's seeking he says, who bound the waters in a, in a garment? Imagine that. And it says, who established all the ends of the earth? Jesus is the creator of everything. He created it for himself that he himself has preeminence over it. We know that there's the Father and there's the Son and there's the Holy Spirit. These are, 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 are all distinct, but they have the same nature, the same character, the same, same if you will, uh, in those respects, and all involved in creation, all involved in the resurrection, all involved in the overall plan. Jesus says, I always do those things that please my Father. They are always in sync with one another, never in disagreement, never in con contradicting one another at all, always having the same purpose, plan, and will. He says, who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? The Father. But then also, what is his son's name? If you know, I love those verses. The point in the whole Bible, listen, 
The point to reading the Bible is to discover Jesus. And there's a lot of spiritual people today who call themselves spiritual. And they say that they're, they're, they're spiritual and they believe in God. And I've come to find out now through evangelism and just interactions, like, well, what God do you believe in? And what spirits are you listening to? I want to test those. Because if I can't hear Jesus, I'm suspect. You know, I, I decide you can tell me anything you want to do. I need to know the name of the God that you're worshiping. And what is his son's name by which you are saved? If you don't know him, there's something missing. And this Old Testament guy, he's not stupid. He knows the most important thing that we can discover upon this earth. To read the Bible and not see Jesus is to have wasted time. To go through this life and not know Jesus is to have wasted a life. That's the reality. So we not only see that he has knowledge of the Holy One, but he has reverence for his word in verse five through six. Notice he says, every word of God is pure. I love that. Isn't that an amazing statement? Every word of God is pure. You know, purity talks about something that's been refined. Like our faith is going to become pure because we're being refined through the things that we go through down here. So that when we stand before God, we'll be perfected at that point. God's word having worked on us through this life that we live. But God's word is already refined. It's pure because it comes from the very throne of God. And it doesn't need anything. Notice he says that he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. I love this. We learn in the, in the New Testament that we have the shield of faith when we talk about the armor of God. But what we're finding is that God himself is our shield. If we put our trust in him, he becomes our shield. Isn't that wonderful? I know the enemy wants to destroy me. I'm very aware of that now. I laugh in his face because I have a shield. I can't be destroyed. I have eternal life. I can't die. The body doesn't matter. I have eternity. Amen. Y'all believe that? Because God is my shield. Now, check this out. He says, do not add to his words. Now, we can back up because Jesus said the same thing. You know, don't add and don't, don't take away. Do not add to his word. I'm going to go a step further. It's pure and it doesn't need help. We don't need any more versions of the Bible. Everybody wants to get a new version because they need one that sounds hip or they need one that sounds easier to read. And in the process, they're just kind of watering down some of the vital aspects of it. It doesn't need any help. We need to read it as it is and allow it to work in our lives. Do y'all know the Bible is alive and not a textbook? It's not a textbook. This is the amazing thing. And once we realize it's alive, then we, then we actually handle it from a different perspective. This guy has a reverence for God's word, just like he lo- has knowledge of the Holy One. That's what makes him special. He knows that the word is pure and I need to take it in because the word is actually what's going to go in and change me. And for Americans who want everything in a pill so we can get it quick, we, this can help. This will do the change on the inside. You want a pill? Here it is. <laughs> You ain't got to go to fast meds. No. I'm sorry. But this changes stuff. This will change your mindset. I know people who couldn't read, but they wanted the word so much that they learned how to read. Like the Bible taught them how to read. I actually know that. I know people who, because of so many years of doing drugs, couldn't comprehend when they read the Bible. It couldn't, they couldn't stay, or when they read anything, it just wouldn't stay, but they kept reading the Bible, and it like rewired their, their connectors, whatever was dead, God brought alive. Why? Because he wants them to be able to receive that which he, he has prepared. 
This thing is alive, and this will, this will change from your thought process, your life. It will make you different. You have to let it have its perfect work on the inside of you, and don't fight with it. Just go in there and dive in and soak it up. Take it into your spirit and let the, the word of God change you. Um, so he says, don't add to the word. The word doesn't need nothing from us. Read it as it is. It don't need to be cut. We take it straight. Amen? So don't add to the words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. And so, Augur, I like him. He's humble, but he knows the Lord. He's seeking after the Son, and he has a reverence for the Bible itself. But not only that, the last thing this morning we're going to see is that this guy, Augur, he actually delights himself in the Lord in a very special way, which we can learn from. Look in verse 7 through 9. It says, two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. He's saying, Lord, let me come to this place that, that before I die so I can live in this sweet spot. Well, what is it? Well, first he says, remove falsehood and lies far from me because this man's been humbled because he got before the Lord. So he already knows he sees his own flaws because he's been to the Lord. A lot of times we're so prideful, we can't see our own flaws. But when you get before the Lord, you can see them. He exposes them. The word of God, as you spend time in it, he has a reverence for God's word. So the word is exposing his flaws to him. So he says, Lord, remove these things from me because I want to walk in truth. But then he says this. Now, listen carefully. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Let's stop there for a moment. Most of us can't pray this. We might pray, Lord, don't give me poverty. Or we might pray, Lord, give me riches. But to put both here in a sense, give me neither poverty nor riches. It takes a special heart to pray that. Because everybody wants to be rich. But this man recognizes that there's a danger in the riches to the point that he would say, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. So, Lord, don't give me the poverty nor give me the riches. And he says, why? He says, so feed me with the food allotted to me. Like Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And here's why, verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what he says is, Lord, give, give me my daily allotment of exactly what you know that I need. Because you know me better than I know myself. Because I don't want to be so wealthy that I all of a sudden think it's me that did it and I don't need you anymore. Because that's what can happen to many of us in the room if God were to just give us wealth today. It would destroy us. It would pull us away from a loving God. You know, and this, again, this guy, August, coming behind Solomon, a man who was the most wealthy and the most wise. Solomon was so wealthy that he didn't know what to do with the wealth. He started making stupid stuff with his gold. Gold forks and spoons. Gold plates and, and glasses. Gold pictures on the wall just because with carvings because he didn't know what else to do with the gold. You know, gold chariots. You know, he had rims on his chariots made out of gold. Just because he know gold shields. I mean, y'all go back and read First Kings. Like Solomon was looking for something else to make gold, make with gold, because it's gold. It was so much gold, it was like rocks out on the ground. So wealthy, and he became complacent, and then he he collected these women and began to let them take his heart from God. All of that. Here's this auger. We don't even know this guy. He recognizes that. He recognizes that on the inside of each one of us. Listen, is a dangerous place of having so much excess 
that we won't even pay attention to God anymore. The reality is, for some of us, the state we may be in may be because God knows that's the safest place for us to be because eternity is at stake. I hate to say that, but some of the states that you're in may be because that's where God can keep you focused on who he is in your life and not lose you to things. So he says, give me my allotment because I don't want to be so full that I deny you. But he also says, on the other hand, I don't want to be poor because I might be tempted to steal and profane your name. So he saw both sides of the thing because the reality is inside of us, inside of our human nature is when we're hungry, we will do stuff we never said, thought we would do. Yeah. On the inside of us, is if we're hungry, we will commit crimes. What do you mean that sweet little old lady from church done robbed somebody? Man, I saw people stealing tissue off the shelf from the little old lady trying to reach it during COVID. A big old dude grabbing the tissue and going out the door. The little lady, she needs some too. I used to see the older people trying to get in there and get some paper products. Y'all act like y'all didn't see it. I hope y'all didn't do it. Did anybody else see it? Yeah, it's like, man, I'm not even going to get any because it's, look at the people trying to get it. And I'm just, I was like, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's something about human nature and Augur recognizes it. And he says, there's a sweet spot to living where God has me just where he wants me to be. And this may not feel good to some of you because your desire is to be rich. The reality is God may not ever let you get there because it will destroy you, period. And he loves you, especially if you know him. Unless, unless you come to a place as a steward where you're being a good steward, and, and, but your heart's not given to the things that you're stewarding anymore. And then God can see where he can trust you um, series of heathens. She don't believe what I'm saying. That's why she does that. <laughs> y'all need to turn. And, and what happens is, um, let's see, the reason y'all got to turn those things off is because I get, I get distracted so easily. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I was saying something. Um, stewardship, thank you, yeah. So, I, I do believe that there's a place where, as a steward, God knows that he can trust you with things. So he puts those things within your stewardship because he knows you're going to manage it well and be a blessing to, to, the, to the kingdom and the body of Christ. And your heart won't be taken away from him over those things. But if you can't come to that place, then God is going to withhold certain things from you because of this that Augur recognizes and is teaching us this morning. And when I discovered these verses, I began to pray this. I was like, well, Lord, I don't want to be moved from you. <laughs> So then you know what my allotment needs to be and you know what I can handle as a steward. And Jesus kind of gives us the hint of that in the gospels when he was talking about the parable of the talents and, 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 and giving according to um, uh, faithfulness and ability. Uh, and, and he gave us that whole description. So understand that in your walk with the Lord. If you are so focused on trying to get rich or get stuff, you as a disciple need to understand that God has his finger on the pulse of how that plays out in your life to protect you from yourself. Everybody get it. All right, let's, uh, let's go before him now. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your word and how it speaks to us. I pray that it would continue to speak to us, Lord God, um, and keep us throughout this week until we meet together again, Lord God. I pray that you would uh, protect, that you would lead, that you would provide a clear and safe path watching over us in our cars, our homes, marketplaces, classrooms, wherever it is that we go, Lord God, that we would glorify you and how we live our lives until we gather again, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.